Hello again, it's your friendly neighborhood host J.T. Wheatley back for another episode of History Comics Podcast. This time with the life of the brilliant uh, penciler and editor, Carmine Infantino. You'll be hard-pressed to, to give the history of American comic books without touching on the accomplishments of Carmine Infantino. Starting as a talented artist, he would literally draw the Silver Age into existence, along with co-creating the Barry Allen Flash that we know and love today. Later, he would even go to run DC Comics itself as his president and publisher. Simply put, Carmen Infantino left a mark on comics that's unlike any other one all of us fans should be grateful for. Carmen Infantino was born on March 24, 1925, growing up in Brooklyn, New York. His father, Pascal Patrick Infantino, was a musician who played the saxophone, clarinet, and violin, even working in a band with composer Harry Warren, the first American songwriter to work primarily in film. However, Carmine's mother, Angela Rosa della Bodi, who immigrated from Calitra, Italy, eventually made him give it up for more steady work in housing, cleaning to- toilets, and other jobs while before becoming a licensed plumber, which Carmine Infantino said his father hated. Infantino's mother worked in the factory making pants and made sure he learned to speak Italian, as his mother, her, as his grandmother, her her mother only spoke that language. Infantino grew up poor and had to sign shoes just to have money for Christmas one time. At one point, his father even had to change his name to Patrick to avoid discrimination due to his Italian heritage, but even that didn't manage to get him any more jobs. Despite these hardships, or perhaps a release from them, Carmine Infantino started drawing at the age of 7 or 8, often in class due to being bored with schoolwork, copying uh, Dick Tracy comic strips. He would uh, grow up admiring Milton Kniff, especially his work on the Terry and the Pirates, along with Lee Falk's The Phantom. He also enjoyed buying comic books when they first appeared in 1935 and baseball, not enjoying any sports, and was a huge New York Giants fan while, while still going to school in Brooklyn at Public School 75 and 85. In 1939, Carmine Infantino went to the World's Fair, where he loved the GM exhibit on the city of the future, with its flying cars and strange roadways, further fueling his love of architecture. By the time he was in high school, Infantino decided he wanted to be a comic book artist and started seeking out famous artists like Al Cap and Morris Weiss with his art for advice. Infantino would credit Weiss with one of his first contacts in the industry, and it wasn't long before he got his first job with the infamous Victor Fox, who at the time shared office space with DC Comics. By his freshman year of high school, Infantino was working at the Harry A. Chesler's comic shop. Infantino would later meet uh, Ken Butterfield, who was going to the School of Industrial Art, and who introduced him to the famed comic shop owner, Harry Chesler. Infantino said that Chesler, despite his reputation being a taskmaster and a cheapskate, was actually very nice to him and paid him five bucks a week just to watch other artists work in his shop. Growing up, he was, Carmen Infantino was also friends with Frank Giacawa, the future brilliant inker, and together they would do Jack Frost in USA Comics number 3 on January of 1942 for Timely Comics and editor Joe Simon. Giacawa penciled, despite being, according to Infantino, very slow at it, while he inked. While he had broken in the industry, this didn't make Infantino's parents any happier, as they wished he would get a steady job. They did insist he finish school despite his friend uh, Gio Kawa dropping out to work full-time in comics. It probably didn't help he was still living with his parents while his comic career was taking off, though the money did, he earned did help support them. Infantino would state he felt he had his father's unspoken approval, though, being someone who was never able to p- pursue his dreams of being a professional musician. Infantino would later work at Quality Comics under Busy Arnold, being paid $10 a week. 
There, he worked on such works as Spy Smasher and then Daredevil for Charles Barrow, along with the Western uh, Desperado and Crime Does Not Pay in 1946 and 47. Infantino said that Barrow was tough to work for, but a good boss who pushed storytelling. He also stated that his partner Bob Wood was a drunk, and it was Barrow who really ran the show. Next, Infantino went for Bernard Bailey, where he drew full stories on uh, such books like The Human Torch, The Patriot, and Captain Wonder. He also worked for Hollyoke and Magazine Enterprises, where his art started to show the influence of Milton Kniff and uh, Hal Foster. When he went to Hillman, it was there that Infantino started to write at the urging of editor Ed Cronin. His first written feature was The Heap, which Cronin first made him propose as a synopsis and then produce a full script, redoing it more than a few times. Infantino followed this up with Airboy, which Hillman didn't pay. And while Hillman didn't pay as well as DC, Infantino would credit the company with, with a great deal of work experience, especially getting in started in writing. This also helped when Infantino moved to DC, with, with his first published work there being six-page uh, six Johnny Thunder story in Flash Comics number 86 on August of 1947. Here he co-created the Black Canary with writer Robert Knier. According to Infantino, he designed the Black Canary, Dina Drake, to be the ideal woman on Canier's advice, whom he credits with giving him the freedom to draw her as he wanted. Infantino drew her with her trademark black uh, fishnet stockings and leather jacket, being a sexualized but strong female vigilante who infiltrated criminal organizations to take them down. Initially, she was just skilled in hand-to-hand combat with no superpowers, and would eventually marry Gotham City Detective Larry Lance, with the two having a daughter, Laurel Lance, who would adult her trademark canary cry and take up her mother's mantle as the Black Canary. However, by the events, events of the New 52 in the DC Comics, the characters have since been merged in DC's continuity. The Black Canary has remained a mainstay in DC Comics to this day, and outside the medium is most notable for appearing in Arrow's CD, CW TV show, played by Katie Cassidy. This would be Infantino's first major character he created during his comic book career, and he was only just getting started. Soon, Infantino was working on The Flash directly, a character he would later have a great influence on, starting on all Flash comics number 31, October-November 1947 along with becoming the regular artist in the Golden Age Green Lantern and the Justice Society of America, where he helped redesign the Adams costume, though he would later admit not to not liking the character that much. With his growing success, Infantino was finally able to move out of his parents' house in the late 20s, hopefully getting some approval as well. Carvalho Infantino was disqualified for the military draft due to gallbladder surgery, but would work with the National Cartoon Society and the USO in the 1950s, entertaining the troops overseas in Europe and Asia as a way for making up for not being able to serve his country. All the while, he continued to ascend in his comic book career. Infantino would later work for Sheldon Shelley Mayer at DC Comics, first on Ghost Patrol, though he soon learned that Mayer liked to make multiple corrections. Infantino would call Mayer tough but a great teacher, especially insisting on using different angles for panels, while Mayer described as moving the camera around in the comic book. At DC, Infantino would work alongside other comic book greats like Alex Toof, Joe Kane, and Joe Kubert. Sheldon Mayer and Ed Cronin would continue to encourage him to draw something new every day for practice, and under Mayer, he got his page rate up to $15. While still at DC, Infantino would freelance for Joe Simon and Jack Kirby on Charlie Chan, and he credits Kirby with making his art more cinematic. He would also work on the Boy Commandos and there, and remember having to help Mort Meskin get started every day by drawing a few lines on his drawing board due to his nervous breakdown. 
Overall, he enjoyed being a freelancer later in the 1960s over during the 1940s, as he was stated that he was a better artist back then. With the popularity of the superhero genre fading during this time, Infantino would later work at DC in Western and Romance comics, like Kate Kobe, Girl Sheriff. However, he hated working in the war romance genre and wasn't a big fan of Westerns either, calling both genres monopolous. He did love working on King Faraday with Robert Knier, calling him the James Bond of his day. The character first appeared in Danger Trail No. 1 in July of 1950, with Knier and Infantino creating the former soldier-turned-U.S. agent, with his name being a twist in the term King for a Day. Faraday had become, a, had become a regular member of DC's clandestine world, appearing in stories involving the Suicide Squad and Checkmate, along with having a significant role in the Darwin's Cook's classic DC The New Frontier. In addition, King Faraday has appeared in outside of comics such as the Justice League Unlimited and Young Justice. Infantino especially liked working with Kanaya as an editor, stating he never caused him problems, though he heard he was brutal to others, especially Mort Meskin. Reportedly, Kanaya made Meskin imitate an army claw in the DC offices to show that he knew what it looked like. At one point, Carmen Infantino had an interesting opportunity fall into his lap when he was offered $300 a week by Al Cap to take over his legendary strip, Little Abner, but turned it down as it would require him to move to Boston. That's not to say that Infantino didn't try to make it on in comic strips on his own, like Hometown, but it failed. Thankfully, his career in comic books kept going. In 1952, Carmen Infantino would ink Detective Chimp with John Broom, which he loved. Around this time, he was studying under William C. McNutty at the Art Student League and would uh, later go to the School of Visual Arts under Jake Potter. However, due to comic books not being very popular at the time, Carmen Infantino often didn't sign his name to his work and would use the pseudonym Roge Infanty when he did. Ironically, DC would get fan letters calling out Infanty to be fired, saying that he was just carpeting Infantino's style. Infantino continued to expand his learning, studying artists like uh, Molaglani, Gianni Dometti, and, and Dagas, along with the architect Frank Lloyd Light. He created a Degas with teaching him uh, design while Gia Kamadi showing him raw work. As a result, he started using silhouettes in his art. All these new skills would help Infantino with his art in just in time, as things were soon about to change with comic books and superhero genre. A new age was about to arrive, and Infantino was the one to draw it into existence. In 1956, DC editor Julie Swartz assigned writer Robert Knier with reviving some of their defunct superheroes, the first being The Flash, whose comic had been canceled for years, for years up to that point. He worked with Carmine Infantino, who had penciled Showcase No. 4 on October of 1956, introducing the Barry Allen Flash and bringing the, about the Silver Age of American comic books. Infantino was tasked with redesigning his costume, making it solid red and more streamlined, while Robert Knier came up with the idea of using a film strip on the cover. In addition, Infantino was influenced by Mort Meskin's work on his own speedster, Johnny Quick, showing the Flash and multiple figures to, to show off his speed. Infantino also had the Barry Allen the Flash move at a runner's tilt to further emphasize his speed, and he loved the idea of the costume coming out of his ring. It was a near instant success leading to the revival of the superhero genre and American comic books in general, considered the beginning of the Silver Age of American comic books. While this moment was undoubtedly popular, it did have some critics, most notably writer and original Flash co-creator Gardner Fox, who pointed out they had created a continuity error having the Flash rebooted with a new identity without explaining what happened to the original J. Carrot Golden Age Flash. 
Sure enough, the fan confusion placed a damper on the new Flash's success, especially when they started asking uh, logical questions like, why does Superman, Batman, and Wonder Woman not remember the, the Jay Garrett Flash when they literally fought alongside each other during the Golden Age? In many ways, this was DC's first crisis. With continuity, it would not be its last. Realizing something needed to be done, editor Julie Swartz tasked writer Gardner Fox with coming up with a solution, the result being the now-classic The Flash of Two Worlds story in The Flash number 123 of September of 1961. They introduced Earth Earth 2, explaining that this is where the Golden Age heroes of DC actually came from, and tuning the Jay Garrett's The Flash, and was a novel solution by the great writer, Gardner Fox, whom I have argued in my previous episodes on him that he's arguably DC's greatest writer, and he wrote himself into the story as an Earth-1 writer who dreams of Earth-2, allowing him to write the comic book stories about them. However, a large part of what made the comic great was also tasking Carmine Infantino to do the art. When he uh, did Jay Garrett Golden Age Flash, was introduced in 1960s, Infantino had him aged up a little bit, adding some gray to his hair to show he was older, the older Flash. It remains a classic story to this day, and is even referenced in the current CW The Flash series. Carmen Infantino would continue his brilliant work on The Flash, mostly working with writer John Broom. Together they would create Kid Flash, reversing his color scheme so there was a dominant yellow, in The Flash number 110 of December of 1959, originally being Wally West, the nephew of uh, Iris West, Barry Allen's girlfriend, whom Canire and Infantino also created back in Showcase number 4. Kid Flash would later become a founding member of the Teen Titans, along with eventually inheriting the mantle of The Flash from Barry Allen after the Crisis of Infinite Earths in the 1980s. With Broom, Infantino also helped craft the Flash's rogues gallery, including his classic villains as Weather Wizard, Mirror Master, Captain Cold, the Pied Piper, and the Top. Ultimately, Broom and Infantino created one of the best line of villains of a, a superhero has ever faced, up there with the Batman and Spider-Man's rogues gallery. His favorite villain was Captain Boomerang, who first appeared in Flash number 117 in December of 1960, and Infantino especially liked the angle of him being in love with Irish, Barry Allen's girlfriend. Carmen Infantino would later object to Barry Allen marrying Iris, saying it ruined their romantic dynamic, along with taking away the fantasy of the character. All in all, John Broom and Carmen Infantino's run in the Flash would probably be the greatest of the character, establishing Barry Allen as the most popular man to carry the mantle of this Scarlet Speedster, along with establishing his villains and supporting cast. To date, it is one of the most emulated, and it is no surprise that nearly every adaptation of the Flash and other mediums, from movies to television, has always been inspired by the Broom and Infantino's run. Plus, Barry Allen would eventually return as the Flash. However, it wasn't just the Flash that Infantino was going to leave his mark on, as his brilliant career at DC was only just beginning. During their run on the Flash, John Broom and Carmen Infantino also created a new superhero with the Elongated Man, appearing in Flash number 112 on February 25, 1960. In a story in which the Flash originally believes the Elongated Man, Ralph Digby, is a criminal before revealing he is framed. Infantino helped craft the later elongated man's stories with Broom, basing his adventures on the Thin Man with his relationship with his wife, Sue, on Nick and Noro Charles from that film series. Strangely, Plastic Man, the other DC stretching hero, never entered into his mind when he was working on it. To emphasize his stretching, Infantino used longer panels and would later change the costume as he wasn't a fan of the original. To date, the elongated man has remained a mainstay in DC, along with making numerous appearances in cartoons and live-action TV, most significantly being portrayed by actor Hartley Sawyer on The Flash CW Show. 
a less successful creation of Carmine Infantino was Super Chief, which he co-created with Gardner Fox in All Western number 117 on March of 1961. Originally an Iroquois from the 15th century America who received his powers for a magic meteor, which also uh, granted uh, him long life. However, Infantino later admitted it was just a failed attempt to revive the Western genre, though the character of Super Chief himself has periodically reappeared in DC Comics ever since. Infantino would later have a celebrated run of Mystery in Space, doing the Adam Strange stories, replacing artist Mike Sikowski, before being told in 1964 he was going to work on Detective Comics under Irvin Donenfeld and Julie Swartz, along with rejoining his Flash writer John Broome. With this new team, Infantino added a yellow circle around Batman's bat symbol on his chest and even designed some guns to carry on his back, but that was ejected to, as Batman no longer was allowed to carry guns in the comic books. He did briefly during his original Golden Age run. Infantino would use more vertical panels in the series to provide a darker, more mysterious feel, and would have Robin age from 10 to 12 to 15 to 16, believing it was time for his sidekick to grow up a a little bit. This was part of a larger attempt to bring the series more down to earth, jettisoning characters like Ace the Bat-Hound and Bat-Mite, along with ditching the space stories for more street detective work. While the comic was successful, Bob Kane, Batman's co-creator with Bill Finger, hated the art, even if he couldn't produce his own. Kane infamously had Murphy Anderson ghost pencil his art for years. Reportedly, Kane even approached DC President Jack Leibowitz, claiming Infantino was ruining his character, in which Leibowitz replied, well, it's not really your character. It didn't help that Bob Kane's name was taken off the stories Infantino drew at Leibowitz's assistance. He reportedly hated Bob Kane. Thankfully, when Bob Kane's contract was changed in 1968, he could no longer say a thing, and Infantino was personally glad to see him go when Kenny bought DC Comics, as he hated how Kane treated Bill Finger in denying his co-creation of Batman throughout his life. Of interesting note, Infantino defended Jack Leibowitz's treatment of Jerry Siegel and John Schuster, the creators of Superman, stating that Leibowitz made them fair offers for, of money and lifetime contracts, but they demanded ownership of Superman outright, something that DC Comics would never do. During Infantino's run of Detective Comics, it was soon outselling Batman, and would later be doing the, he would later be doing the Batman comic strip in the 1960s, though it would later end due to bad writing, according to Infantino. Infantino also added to the Batman mythos, co-creating with Gardner Fox the villain blockbuster in Detective Comics, number 345, November of 1965, who has since become Nightwing's arch-nemesis. Most significantly, Infantino, Fox, and Julie Swartz created the modern Batgirl Barbara Gordon in Detective Comics, number 359, on January of 1967, originally at the request of William Dozer, the producer of the Adam West Batman TV show as he was wanting a female superhero to help attract viewers, and even suggesting she be the daughter of Commissioner Gordon. Infantino was tasked with creating a rough design for the new hero, which Dozer then used to get a third season to pick up for the TV show, where the character was played by Yvonne Craig. Batgirl Barbara Gordon has since emerged in her own right, becoming one of the most popular heroes in DC and comic books today. Another character Carmine Infantino would co-create was Dead Man with Arnold Drake after Jack Miller turned it down, with the character first appearing in Strange Adventures number 205 in October 1967, giving the origin of Boston Brand, a circus trapeze artist who dons a red unitard and white face paint for his act, only to be made permanent in appearance when he is murdered. However, his soul, through a Hindu god, gives, gives him the ability to possess other living beings, allowing him to fight crime. 
Of note, this was the first story in comic books depicting Narcarac's use under the Comics Code Authority, and a similar story would have played a key role in Infantino's future career, but more on that later. Strangely, Carmen Infantino admired the Comics Code Authority, believing it reined in creators from showing off too much sex and violence. It would be something that would bite him back later when the CCA started to lose its popularity. Infantino disputed uh, Arnold Drake's claim he did the original layouts, and he enjoyed coming up with the character design of, of Dead Man. However, Infantino would only do one issue, handing it off to the hands of uh, Neil Adams, whose run was so popular, many actually think he co-created the character. Infantino would rarely ink his own work, as editor Julius Schwartz wouldn't allow it. However, Carmen Infantino would brag that he never missed a deadline, probably helped by the fact that Julius Schwartz wouldn't allow him to ink his own work. Infantino would soon no longer be taking orders from editors like Schwartz, though, but giving them instead, as he was about to become the head of DC Comics itself. And we will conclude uh, this episode, but join me again next week when we uh, finish up this two-parter on the life of Carmen Infantino, as he soon goes from being one of the most talented artists in DC Comics to actually running it. Changing up our presentation while keeping the candidness that you enjoy. We'll cover all your favorite shows and movies with maybe a few surprises along the way. And you, yes you, will have opportunities to be on our show on a regular basis. That's right, you've got the Zoom Pro account and we're going to use it. So be ready. Find us at nerdblisspodcast.com and esonetwork.com. And on all the socials at NerdBlissPod. NerdBliss, listen up. Now it is uh, March 17th, 2022, time for the favorite comic book of the week, Reckoning War, Trial of the Watcher, number one, by Dan Slott and Javier Rodriguez, which is a great one-shot that finds uh, Uda, the, the Watcher, going to his fellow Watchers and trying to get them to interfere in, with the Reckoning War coming about again, only for them to turn around and force Uda to finally watch the one what-if scenario he's never watched, and that is, what if he never had interfered when the Galactus originally attacked the Earth all those years ago to begin with in the Fantastic Four? This is a great twisty story by Dan Slott that goes back to the classic of first appearance of Uda and Galactus and Silver Surfer, that great, the great story by Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, and where, which is honestly where he first interfered and broke his Watcher code he was to watch and interfere, and they kind of show maybe you should have done it to begin with. Maybe you messed up doing it. You should let people handle things your own way and not interfering this whole time. And it has a great uh, perspective about, Uda, uh, about his old plan about how he always tends to interfere every now and then do little things here and there. And maybe he's not, that's not the best thing at all. And it's matched by Javier Rodriguez's great cartoony art, which has a nice kind of a nice little throwback to Jack Kirby's art at the time. So yeah, definitely worth picking up. Reckoning War by Dan Slott in general has been a great event for Marvel, mining all these great little continuity tidbits, and this is a prime example of it. So yes, if you're looking for a great little one-shot to get you in this uh, great event, uh, check out Reckoning War number one, The Trial of the Watcher, just a great read. And with that, uh, that includes uh, this episode for a week, but join me again next week for the second and concluding part of the life of uh, Carmine Infantino. And until then, go out and enjoy yourself. The Gone Book. <laughs>